hello listeners. For reasons various and diverse, we were not able to get a Sunny 16 podcast put together this week. Work deadlines and screaming children made that uh, slightly more difficult than it normally is. So instead, we've got a treat for you this week. Um, This is going to be the first episode of a podcast called I Dream of Cameras, which has been made for us by Jeff Greenstein, who many of you may have heard talking to Claire on her On Film podcast, uh, and his good friend Gabe Sachs both of whom are keen camera collectors and enthusiasts. And this show is them talking about their passion and their cameras. Um, As I said, hopefully this is the first of many. You will hear the rest of them on the Sunny 16 Presents feed as they appear. So if you enjoy it, make sure you're subscribed to that feed. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with the Cheap Shots Challenge judging. Uh, Until then, enjoy listening to Jeff and Gabe. This is thrilling. Okay. Things are happening. Okay, so you know what I realized? We haven't arrived. We haven't decided on a name for the thing. You know what? That's the fun of it. Okay. (laughs) All right. So why don't we introduce ourselves? Why don't we just dive in and introduce ourselves as if we're going to start? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. I'm Jeff Greenstein. I am Gabe Sachs. And this is our podcast, as yet unnamed. Maybe we'll name it by the end of this hour. Exactly. uh, In which we talk about our adventures in camera collecting. Perfect. My favorite addiction. I figured we would talk about first, like, who we are, how we met, why we're doing this. (laughs) Good idea. Why don't you Well, I remember, I remember, I had, I'm a writer-producer. I got my first deal at Universal. And everyone was talking about the Jeffs. Everything was about the Jeffs. The Jeffs were the coolest. You got to meet the Jeffs. So I was, look, I made a homemade pilot and I got a deal and it was all new to me. So I was just excited that I had a name tag with my picture on it was the coolest thing ever. And it said universal. And so I would collect, you know, you know, fax paper and stationery. And that was my favorite thing. But uh, everyone talked about the Jeffs, these great producers. And Nancy Perkins, who was in casting there, I know, took me along with her um, to go to your set for partners. And it was the coolest thing ever. Like I was like, I was so new to the game and, and was looking around and I just said, Oh my gosh, this is so great. And you guys were so nice. And, and I was very excited uh, at the end of the day going, I met the Jeffs. That, that's a great story. I don't know that I've actually heard that story. That's I true. do remember that we met back in that era and that we both had deals at Universal, but I didn't realize that was the exact circumstance. Oh, it was very exciting. It was very fun. But then you immediately outpaced me because you guys got on one of the coolest shows ever made. <laughs> that was uh, a lot of fun. So I had, I was writing by myself. And then um, sold a show, and I hired writers that no one had ever heard of. Um, and Jeff Judah was one of them, and that's how that's who became my writing producing partner. And uh, he came out to LA, and we tried writing together. We wrote something in three days. Yeah. And and everyone said we had to write a spec script. We're like, what's a spec script? And <laughs> you know, you have to write something for a show that's existing. And I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. We just write originals. We don't need to write a right. spec script. And uh, we were told, oh, yeah, you have to write a spec script. So we decided to write a spec script, but we were sort of snarky about it. We 
wrote the filthiest just shoot me script <laughs> that would never ever be able to be aired ever and just turned it in to our agent and uh he was like uh i don't know this is really i'm not sure and so it went around and everyone who got the script wanted to meet with us because it was so offensive great and and it was just it was just not you know it would not be on tv and so uh one of those people was judd apatow right and judd called us and sort of hired a sight on scene and said we're going to work together forever he actually said those words that we were going wow wow whether it's just a month it doesn't matter <laughs> we were because because at that time you'll remember it's like everyone was talking about judd apatow sure and, sure and he wasn't famous it was just like he was amongst writers that was the guy you wanted to meet. So we ended up working together on Freaks and Geeks, and it was a blast. It was a lot That's of fun. And fantastic. then we've worked together for a long time. Yeah. Great. Now, gosh, Freaks and Geeks, what years did that run? What year did that run? What? Yes, be very clear. <laughs> it ran one season. It was 18 episodes. It was 1999-2000. Okay. And um, you could flip a coin to figure out, to gamble on what day it might air. Right, because they this. they put it on a Monday, put it on another day, put it on. It was crazy. Okay, so, so while you were doing that, this is very yes. interesting. Okay, now I'm seeing sort of the braided lives how they've intersected. Yes. yes. So my first job in TV was an HBO show called Dream On, and the team that created that show took me and my writing partner Jeff Strauss, who you mentioned, to their next series, which was something called Friends. And so I did the first season of Friends, What's that show? and yeah. It's a little show. 25 <laughs> years ago. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And um, and it was during that year that Jeff and I wrote the pilot, Partners, uh, which got picked up by Fox, and that was the set that you visited. And after Partners, we did a show that was not so good, which I'll skip, and then Jeff and I split up, and I went to Will and & Grace. And so I was on Will & Grace while y'all were doing Freaks and Geeks. I think I was in my... Right. Am I right about that? 19... Uh, was, was that... Yeah, I think sounds yeah, like. Yeah, would, I think it would be. I think I'm right about that. So, yeah, I was right, right? Okay, let's assume I'm right. Um, so I did Will and Grace while y'all were doing that. And I remember admiring that show so much from afar and being so jealous that y'all were doing like a single camera hour that was so sophisticated and smart. And I think in the same way that you had an awareness of Jeff and me, Jeff and I had this awareness, Sax and Judah, Sax and Judah, Sax and Judah, Sax and Judah are on the hot show. Did you hear about what, what are Sax and Judah doing? So I feel like our careers were on a sort of these parallel tracks. But we only met, I think, maybe that one time all those years ago. Yep, all those years ago. And, and everyone would talk about, you know, when everyone, I, you know, because I always had my camera with me, they would always say, got to talk to Jeff. I mean, Jeff has these cameras and you got to do this. You got to do this. And I, I think this is the, the craziest thing is, again, years and years later, it was Nancy Perkins oh. who I went to lunch with. And she says, you've got to get in touch with Jeff. That's about so these funny. Cameras. Okay. That's really interesting because, um, and we should say Nancy was head of casting at Universal. Yeah. She's yeah, yeah, amazing. Terrific yeah. person. And the way that I became aware of your fascination with cameras was actually through Tara Wire, 
who was oh, there you go. a director. She was an AD on Desperate Housewives when I was there. She and I directed our first episodes of television yep. consecutively. She directed episode three of a season, and then I did episode four. And because we were sort of going through this together, she and I became very close friends. And when she went to work for you guys on Night Shift, right. she said, there is this guy on this show who carries a camera <laughs> everywhere. I think it's a Leica. Do you know this guy, Gabe Sachs? I'm like, boing, of course right. I know Gabe Sachs. And so I reached out to you sometime later and right. I said, we should probably get together at a restaurant and talk about cameras. And we Absolutely. did that last year. And I think that was a four hour breakfast. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. It, it's, it, you know, look, when you're not around people that have the addiction that you do over cameras yes they sometimes you can start talking about something and you will see them zone out in yes. front of you their yes. eyes will glaze over and they will go get another coffee or they're yes that's like, right so really, it was they'll say so, they're interested but yeah no. right they'll nod when you right. talk about the oh, esoterica no one of why this one you know this has the black paint as opposed to black chrome they don't care. and you'll be talking about how important that is and yes, oh, yeah. you see the steel doors slam shut behind their eyes. Yeah, and, and how you realize- passionate you are <laughs> about film and this stock and this yes. stock. And they just have, they go, their their first thing is always, you can still get film developed. You can still yes, buy exactly, film. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that led kind of through a series of circumstances. I I just desperately wanted someone to talk to about these things. And I think <laughs> in the month since then, we've occasionally DM'd each other on Instagram. Yep. If, if you don't follow Gabe on Instagram, he's an incredible follow. His photographic work is brilliant. Oh, thank you. And so it's been really interesting to see not just how much you love your gear, but how adept you are at using it to capture beautiful images. You're really, I love really it. good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love it. So... I figured maybe we should start, since we are at the very beginning, talking about how we got into this, like what our first cameras were and how we got into photography. So what's your origin story? So my origin story is um, when I was younger, my older brother and dad uh, were into photography. My dad was a photographer for his high school newspaper. Where was this? This was in uh, Ridgewood, Queens. Okay. And then my um, my brother did some work at NYU. Was at NYU. They're they're older, obviously. My brother, and so they had a dark room in our house in Riverdale, New York. Wow! And I and I would love to go down there. And it was this. It was really sort of by the. I think the you know the water heater or whatever it was just this yeah. thing built but it did have a big it was like the ultimate dark room that i didn't realize was the ultimate dark room it was just this giant space in the basement and it was perfect had the big sink had everything going and i went in there very young and i i was just staring at everything and the red light was on and i was like this is fascinating and then when i saw that magic happen where there was yeah. a piece of white paper that became a photograph sure it became like i need to know what that's about and so it sort of went on and on the years and sort of got into it and i i my dad gave me a first camera which i still have um uh it was a yashica electro 35 oh i know that one it is it is this one oh i see it now the the black body no 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 less how about that but it was um, 
but in my mind, I was never someone like, like I had an older brother who I always say that our differences are he has to do all the research and read directions. And I just want to play with the toy. Sure. That's pretty much. So I never bothered for years to know about f-stops to know about film speed to know yeah. so i just shot it and the things that came out came out and the things that didn't come out didn't come out and that was years of doing that until i finally you know got more into it picked up the camera and then i sort of and were you developing focused. since you had a dark room in the house were you developing i the wasn't developing then i didn't develop till probably around freaks and geeks actually i probably oh, no that's when i that's when i started developing again maybe i did a little in high school but not uh not during freaks and geeks i i rented a house that had a basement with where i could set up a dark room wow, so that was really cool. fun all right my story is a little different than yours okay i grew up <laughs> in atlanta and I was a, a first child and a first grandchild. So the running joke was that when I was growing up, I thought that the camera was part of daddy's face. Um, I was a very meticulously documented child. Um, my father actually took all the pictures of us growing up with a Minox C. Oh, wow. He was a little bit of a like gadget guy. Yeah, he liked that. And so I remember being kind of fascinated by that camera and the little teeny negatives. He yeah. had it in a little case on his belt. I still have this camera. Wow. And my mother had an Instamatic, and we would always take pictures and so forth. Um, but it wasn't until I was, I think I was eight years old, and I went to summer camp at this day camp in Atlanta called High Meadows. And I was looking through all the choices of classes you could take, and there was crafts and cooking and archery and horsemanship, and then there was photography. And I thought, oh, photography, I'll do that. <laughs> so the first session, I took this photography class, and the kid who taught this, who was about four or five years older than I, was named Richard Pilati, and he was like a hippie kid. Okay, like right. this would have been like if I was eight, this was like 71. So right. he was like kind of, he had really long hair and <laughs> aviator glasses. And he was probably like 14 or 15 years old, maybe. But he was super cool to me. Right. And he had a Pentax Spotmatic. Oh, and he taught us all about developing, it's the same magic that you described. He taught us about shooting, about aperture, shutter speed, film speed, developing your own stuff, how an electronic flash works. And it was the same thing for me. I saw that image appear in the pan of developer. And I was like, I have to learn how to do this. And so wow. the second session of photography, I feigned an allergy to horses. So I could take two sessions oh, of photography instead of horsemanship. I and, think that was a good move. Yeah, and I begged my dad to get me a 35 millimeter camera. And as it turned out, he had a Practica, which was wow. this really, I think he had gotten it while he was in the Navy, um, all manual screw mount German camera. And I shot with that for a while and it was very kind of ponderous and hard to use. And then he... I don't know how he did this. I guess he knew a neighbor or something that had a Voigtlander uh, folding camera, uh, yeah. Vito 2A. And so he traded the Voigt the Practica for the Voigtlander. And I started shooting with the Voigtlander. And the 
photos got a lot better because it had a great lens on it and I still have it. It's upstairs. It's a folding camera with a really, really good uh, like crisp Ultron lens and I took this camera everywhere and I shot like crazy and my parents helped me set up a dark room in the basement and I oh, got great. a Durst F30 enlarger. Oh. And so I was like print developing and printing my own film when I was 10 years old. That's amazing. And that... And then eventually saved all my babysitting money to because I wanted a rangefinder camera. So I got, again, a camera I still have, an Olympus 35RC, which is a great little rangefinder. Right, right. And I took it, I mean, it was always over my shoulder. And I would have this camera bag with film and the Kodak Master Photo Guide and filters. And that's, that was, that's how I got into it. That's so great. And I think, you know, as I'm thinking about why I picked it up again, my sister, uh, Althea, was a photographer. Oh, she is a photographer. But um, early on, like she always wow. had a camera and she was always taking pictures. And I think that, you know, I saw that and she always had these pictures. She was the person who, you know, always had prints and always had stuff and did wow. it in college. So what kind of and- photographer was she? Like... She still she, she shoots she shoots everything she shoots oh, amazing okay. portraits she shoots amazing street stuff um, yeah she's she's on Instagram too Althea Sachs photography and wow she's, cool she's great she does really great work but I think that stuff also inspired me to get back into it and sort of get deeper but my addiction. Uh, I couldn't just get one camera and just shoot. Okay, I, I envy those people. I really do. I I see those people and I go, genius. I love yeah. it. One camera, one lens. Yeah, they do beautiful work. Me. So okay, so you still clearly have the Yashica Electro thirty five. I have in the Yashica Electro thirty five. Yeah, I have that in my first movie camera that I got from my dad. That we went to that went to, if you remember, Forty Seventh Street Photo. It's oh, a of GA, course! Look at that GA, GAF Fantastic. Super Eight camera. Great. Um, but uh, yeah, so I still I still save stuff. So when did uh, when did the collecting impulse really take hold, uh, as opposed to just the photographic impulse? Because I feel like those are two yeah. distinctly different things. Very distinct. I think it it started with. Um, before we did Freaks and Geeks, we were working on another um, judge show. And I, an agent said to me, um, you're really into photography. Have you ever tried Leica? Not only had I not <laughs> heard of a Leica, I was like, you know, he was so matter of fact, why don't you try one? And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds really interesting. And then I saw how much they were. Sure. And I was like, what is he talking about? And so I, I, I tried one out. I somehow someone had one that I borrowed and I loved it. Like I just loved the pictures wow. it produced and I loved it. What was that first Leica that you used? It was, um, it was an, it was an R series. It was oh, not a rangefinder. It huh. was an R, R4S, the cheapest Leica you can get in the world. Sure, sure. And someone had a lens and I traded something for that. Okay. And I loved it. And then I somehow at the same time, there was a guy, I don't know if you remember, uh, Don Chatterton. He was a no. big Leica dealer up in Seattle. Oh, I've heard the name. Yes, that's right. And yes. uh, many, many years ago. And so I called him and I said, because this was my whole thing, I don't care if it's dented 
like crazy and it's in user condition as long as it works that's all i'm looking for like i'll take the cheapest whatever thing and he goes look i don't have anything like that but what do you have like what do you have anything to trade and i had all this canon equipment which is probably worth 19 dollars now (laughs) but i had i had no i probably i had a ton of Canon equipment that was good Canon equipment at the time. And he said, well, gather all of that equipment up and all of that equipment up will, uh, I'll be able to trade you for an M6 body. <gasps> Wonderful. And, and then I'm like, but there's no lens? He goes, oh no, there's no lens. <laughs> so then, then I had to, then I remember I had to sell something else and I, I was eventually able to get the, uh, for five hundred dollars, I got the thirty-five millimeter f two Summicron lens nice. for that for that uh, M six, and that was the end. That was it. I started shooting. Um, I just had it with me all the time. It was light enough. I shot. Yeah. So I really traded everything to get that camera, and uh, started shooting and shooting and shooting and did all the freaks and geeks behind the scenes stuff, which is in that documentary. And yeah, um, I just. Loved it. I loved it. It was it was a camera that you could, you know, really take sort of intimate portraits of friends that were just on set and just hanging out. It wasn't loud. It wasn't like, hey, you got to stand here and yeah pose. It was it was something that I loved. And the more I had it, the more um, the more opportunities I had to take pictures. You know, at parties and all just just during production and. Uh, it was great, but I think that that was the first thing, and and uh, and then after that, it was just oh, I've got to see what else there is in this. Well, world. Th- I want to ask because for a lot of people who are you know aspiring photographers or are just getting into photography, right. and they hear about like the Leica M6 is the realization of every dream. Like that is the uh, camera that right. they hope. I to did get. not know that. That yes, yes. And so it's interesting to me because I I also have an M6 and I got it about the time shortly after my son was born, which for mm-hmm. me was sort of what lit the afterburner in right. photography for me. But um, it's interesting that you went right to a camera that for a lot of people would be kind of the dream camera, the grail camera, and yet you did not stop acquiring no. after and that I occurred. Didn't, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know better. Like, it wasn't like I knew that was the dream camera. I knew that 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 I loved what it did. Like, I didn't know. It was after I had it that I learned all about this, like a this and like a mystique. Yeah. And, and, you know, people think like a snobs and that whole time. So what I did is I loved it. And then I was going, oh, my gosh, I want to try one of the early ones. So eBay comes on the scene. Sure. And at, and at that time, if you remember, eBay was really people having garage sales yes on the internet and, and not knowing what their stuff was worth no and it wasn't it wasn't a show it was on and on so i got so my second leica that i got was a uh 3f for nice. 125 dollars, <laughs> and and it was and that was i said this is it i have the two cameras i'm done now I'm not gonna, I don't need to collect anymore. Here. So do, when you had when you were shooting with the M6, did you have the classic lens set, the 35 50 90? Oh no, no, no. I had the I had the 35 and that was it. The 35 Supercron and ah. that was that was it. 
so while we're doing Freaks and Geeks, I had a friend of mine who was a journalist and he was in Singapore. And he calls me up and he says, look, remember, everything's on film. Everyone's, right. I mean, there's digital, but people are really shooting film. Um, do you, the, the magazine's buying me a new 50 millimeter lens. It's a Leica. Do you want to buy this one? Oh, and okay. I said, oh my gosh. He goes, I'll give you the most ridiculous deal because they're buying me the same lens. I go, sure. What's the lens? He goes, a 50 millimeter Noctilux. Oh, and I go, what? I go, what? So I quickly yeah. look them up and I go, I can't afford yeah. a 50 millimeter Noctilux. It's just too much money. He goes, look, I'm promising you whatever you, if you can scrounge up. Yeah money and I sell whatever you can I'll hold it for you until you wow. anyway he sold it to me for a thousand dollars that's an incredible deal and and when I started shooting with that I said this is the right comp I, it just, yeah. I couldn't believe that everyone said oh Noctilux Noctilux I'm going whatever it's like I don't believe it until I can see it and I could yeah. never have gotten one. But, I've yeah. noticed that so many of the portraits that you take that are on Instagram that I really love were taken with that lens. Yeah. And I know that you use it both digitally and analogically, um, but it really <laughs> does. I've never used one, but it does seem like you get really extraordinary results. I, I like really like it. real affinity for it. I love it. And also just friends. And I remember going out to you know restaurants or a lot of stuff during Freaks and Geeks, you know, everything was low light. So it just, it just gives you this really cool look and, yeah. and, uh, was really happy with it. I've been happy so, with it. So, okay. So let me sort of back up and I'll sort of give you my equivalent journey into collecting because Perfect. I'm not really, I mean, I would say by nature, I don't really think of myself as a collector of things. I mean, vinyl albums for a while, like filling holes in my record collection was something that was important to me, but I, I you know, not really a collecting kind of guy. But for me, I feel like, you know, as a kid, as like a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old, I would buy all these photography magazines like Popular Photography, Modern Photography, Peterson's Photographic, and there would be these reviews of these extraordinary cameras. I mean, yep. the Leica R series, the Leica rangefinders, they were so like beyond the beyond, like who has thousands of dollars to spend on right. a camera? But for me, it was even like, who has $350 to spend on a Nikon F? Right. You know, I would see the reviews of like the F2, in popular photography, you go, oh my God, like if only one day right. I could have a camera like that. And the interesting thing is, I think I did, you know, as I said, my son was born and all of a sudden there was a very, very interesting subject to photograph all the time. Right. And so I broke out at the time I had the camera that my parents gave me for my 15th birthday, which was a Canon EF, which was their sort of last of the kind of F1 series of SLRs before they went to the AE1 and it became kind right. of more plastic bodied and so forth. So I broke out the EF and started shooting with that a lot. But then my brother-in-law gave me a Lomo LCA and I started shooting with that. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting thing. And then I started shooting with the Olympus. And I realized that at the time, at this time in the life of eBay that you're talking about, these film cameras were so cheap. They were, like, everything was so cheap. That's where I had the most luck. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would go on eBay and you'd go, I wonder if I can get a Miranda. I wonder what Mirandas are going for. Mirandas were going for 20 bucks. I wonder yep. if I can get 
a Pentax Spotmatic like my old photography teacher had. A Spotmatic was $65. Like nobody wanted these film cameras. They were either cleaning out their closets or they were transitioning to digital cameras. And so it was this incredible time where you could get, I could get all those cameras that I coveted from those photography magazines for nothing. And it was just so fun to be able to kind of cherry pick and that yeah. kind of turned into collecting for me. Yeah, like that's so trying cool. to indulge every fantasy I had at 14 or 15 about the cameras I might want. I mean, I I was I think also collecting, you know, I love pens but not expensive pens. I just like I yeah. thought cool old pens and I liked um typewriters. Now Oh, sure. This becomes yeah. a problem. So I had a couple of typewriters until I um was shooting in Albuquerque, where the antique stores are about 2% of what they are in New York and LA. Sure. And yeah. uh, so it would be like, you'd see a typewriter and the typewriter would look at you and go, seriously, like, I'm $12. Why? <laughs> how, how? You're never going to find me in LA or New right. York for yeah. under $350. So I came home with quite a few typewriters, which I've since given some away. But yeah. Um, it's I always sort of had that like collecting thing and it came out of the curiosity of, well, what's the look of that? Or I would see some right. photographers that I love, like old work and go, oh, my gosh, look at the work. Look at how this happened. And and look at the, you know, the Roloflex and look at look at these cameras. And I was fascinated. And so that's how I started looking at them. And I would always scour thrift stores and sure. garage sales and as, as many things I could. And that's really where I got the bulk of my cameras. Yeah. And so at this point, how many cameras do you have now? Two. Come on now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I probably have... Uh, I probably have around working probably about 90 Oh wow, Working that's a cameras. larger number than I thought and, you were gonna and say. And then I probably have a hundred, but there's there's a lot there's a box of them that are that that need help or I'm gonna donate. So do you find that people give you cameras a lot? Because I find that sometimes a lot. I, I, I am uh very fortunate that um I live next door to uh the production designer Rick Carter. So, you know, who won the Oscar for, you know. Lincoln and Avatar, yeah. and he did, he does all of Steven Spielberg's movies and Zemeckis, um, and he came to me when we first moved in the house, and he said, uh, "You know, here's this Nikon that was my dad's, and and uh, I cherished it, like it was that yeah. kind of thing." So I love them, and I love when they have stories to them. Me too. And, and yeah. I think that it's really, you know, but when I do go out and shoot. It is a dilemma of what to take. Yeah. You know, you want to take, you know, you want to take what you think is the best thing when it's silly. Yeah. It is always, I mean, I have, I, I have managed to thin the herd. Um, I, need I think to there do was that. a time when I had about 75 or 80 cameras and I just was like, you know what? I tried to really do the thing. I would look back through my photo library and I would say, okay, what am I shooting with? And if I haven't shot with it in a while and I don't just have it as an object of beauty, I really need to reassess. Right. And so I 
donated a lot of cameras through Film Photography Project's school donation program. Yep. And occasionally I would give an analog camera to a friend who had just had a new baby. Um, yep. I don't know if they ever appreciated that gift, but uh, <laughs> but that's what I would do. And then I've sort of gotten into the habit whenever KEH comes to town, you know, they have their buyers come, yeah. you know, I... I offload anything that I don't feel I'm using. You know, I right. always think of it the same way that it, I do have. The other thing that I think I have a lot of is books. And right. I would always think of, you know, if I'm not enjoying it, there is probably somebody out there who, who is dying it. to have it. A- absolutely. And yeah. that's what I'm going to, uh, I'll be thinning the herd in the next yeah. couple months. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's funny because um, I don't ever have a pang of regret about the ones I get rid of. You right. know, I've never kind of reacquired something that I sold or gave away. Um, I feel like certain things are stalwarts that are going to stay in the collection forever. Like I'm going to hang on to my dad's Minox and that Olympus 35RC and the Canon EF and, you know, the Leicas and so forth. Those are going to hang, I'm going to hang on to. But there's a couple of cameras that I've hung on to for a long time and then just decided, you know what, I'm not shooting with like the Spotmatic. Yep. I wasn't shooting with the Spotmatic. It was a beautiful camera. It was in great shape. I thought some student out there is dying to get love their it. hands on this camera. Oh, I got to say this before I forget. Richard Pilati, my old photography teacher, is now a naturalist who gives tours of the Galapagos Islands. Oh, wow. And he was featured in an ad for Pentax binoculars when he was in his 30s. Um, and so it's kind of amazing that this guy who inspired me, I, I reconnected with him on Facebook many years ago to tell him about how important he had been to me and to my photographic journey. And I was so delighted to see that he was doing something that was so interesting. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so he's still out there. But so anyway. you, have no, you have no regrets about ca- some cameras you've given up? No, not really. Yeah, not I'm, really. I'm, I'm absolutely not that person. Okay, I wish. what... Is there one that you've gotten rid of that you kind of wish few, you could get back? And I, and I think it was at KEH. There's a, there's a couple. Um, one is the Mamiya 7-2. I've never used sort that of the camera. giant rangefinder. And uh, I really love that camera, but I just wasn't using it as much. And then the other one is the uh, Contax G2 with all the lenses that I sold yeah. to KEH for like not a lot of money. But yes, my, those are one. Yeah, you know, my I've sort of fine-tuned my collecting lately. I try and stay away from expensive autofocus cameras. Smart. And I think it's because, you know, I had a Canon I had a Nikon 35Ti last year and right. It has been a camera I had always wanted. I had seen someone with one. I thought that is a beautiful object. It's a basically a point and shoot 35 millimeter, but I think that would be really fun to have. And I used it for a year and I never bonded with it. Right. And I was also very anxious about that camera because they're not repairable. You know, if I you're know. if your X Pan breaks or your 35 Ti breaks or your Contax G2 breaks, all you can do is salvage parts from another G2 body, you know? And so I like the idea. I think it's one of the reasons I'm sort of somewhat dispassionate about digital photography is because I don't want to spend a lot of money acquiring cameras that are going to obsolete themselves. That always makes me nervous, you know, whether it's someone talking on Sunny 16 podcast or classic lenses podcast about uh some things you just can't get parts for like the leica yeah. r8 yeah it's like it's gonna go down and there's no parts to fix it it's very yeah. terrifying now 
the the camera that I love the most, and I think you and I have talked about this, um, is a camera that I got about eight years ago, which is an Alpa 11SI. And that is a camera that they definitely can't get parts for anymore. I mean, they were hand-built. There were only 425 made in the uh, color and finish that I have. But when I have sent it to the one guy in the world who can repair them, he has a bench where he can make a gear. Oh, wow. You know, he can machine. He has a machine shop, basically. And so if a gear or a spring or a screw or some sort of fastener or whatever, he can make right. one. So, Because wow. I feel like with mechanical cameras, you can always make that part. You can always right. engineer that part. Um, there's even like, I have the um, dual range Sumicron. For the right. you know the Leica Dorian Supercar, which I really love, the one that I had, the little plastic tab on the back of the goggles had broken, and I asked my brother, who's a mathematician, to take it and image it, and then three B three D print me a new one. Oh wow! And it worked, and it worked perfectly, and it looks exactly like the the part that it replaced. You're kidding. So I feel wow. like there's like you can always make something for a mechanical object, but for an electronic object, I just get edgy about right. whether it's gonna be whether it's gonna be around. I know. So I so I, I stick with primary almost now at this point entirely mechanical cameras. Yeah. But I'm sure it's also the fact that, you know, those were the cameras that I was coveting in those magazines when I was a kid. So yeah. it's like Yeah. I, I just get I'm just not good enough. I at at digital, like I just I I understand the Leica transition to digital um, as a photographer, as picking one up. But I have friends with that are so um, addicted to the Sony A7s and that whole series of cameras, which are beautiful. And the funny thing, which I, this is how much I didn't realize. So we had a deal at Sony, which is what we did the show Night Shift. And uh, everyone would call me because there used to be a Sony store on at the oh, studio. Right. Yeah, yeah. So everyone called me, goes, can you get me an A7? Can you get me an A7? We'll send you the money right now because we got almost 50% off. Right. And so I was when like, When I sure. had my deal at Universal, I would get Panasonic stuff cheap. Oh, right. See? <laughs> and I, I would just sort of go, okay. I never thought of like, why don't you try that camera while you still are here? Yeah. And, and not knowing they were going to close the store. Right. And so I probably bought 10 friends that camera for them. Wow. And they loved it. I mean, they just they just love the camera. And I think that I finally tried one three months ago where I got a friend of mine sold me really cheap, the original A7. Okay. And I liked I liked it, but I'm still it's I'm just not it there's so much going on that in my head I'm just like I got it. You know, I'm so used to mechanical cameras. Yeah. That I'm 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 so worried I'm gonna screw something up, but I do love them. I think they're I, mean, I use it now to scan negative. So Oh, interesting. I love it. Hey, that. so let me ask you, so you were saying that you did have some medium format cameras mixed in there, like the Mamiya. Do you, as a collector, do you, are you kind of platform agnostic or do you bend more toward 35 millimeter? What's no, your, what's your I'm actually, I actually, um, one of my favorite cameras is a Rolleiflex. And I found a um, Rolleiflex 2.8 1959, which I love it again, years and years ago on eBay for probably 
$350. And I, as soon as I shot with it, I wanted to know what every Rolleiflex was like. I mean, really? it was one of those things. I just, it was something that didn't need anything. It didn't need a battery. It just yeah. needed film. And I could go out the door. There's nothing to worry about. I'll just have it. And and I love the idea also of looking down, yeah. especially for street photography, where I'm not in someone's face. And I like, I could do things like almost like Vivian Meyer and just sort yeah. of have this distant thing and, and she was able to capture such brilliant stuff. And I think that there was something about that camera that that uh, I loved the the way it was backwards when you looked at it. It was reversed right. image. And, yeah. and so those I really hunted down, but I never paid a lot. It was always yeah. over the years, uh, garage sales or... Um, you know, someone's uncle was selling one or or one that didn't work very well and um, would get it fixed. And and that all that is part of the journey, like all that's entertaining stuff like Harry Fleener in, at Oceanside Camera, you know, yeah. in Manhattan, Manhattan Beach. I mean, that's an adventure, like just to go see him and learn stuff. And, and you know, he's just, you know, seems like a very quiet sort of stern guy. And he's... Right, you know, really, you know, talented, and so he told me everything about the camera, and and so sort of that, all that stuff I love, just getting. So you more go and more through. It sounds like you go through periods of fascination with certain makes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I it's have giving a really, them up. Oh, go ahead. Go so. Far, no, ahead. I was just saying it's giving them up. That's the uh, thing I have to figure out how to do. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I have a Rolly 3.5e, which I love. Love it. And it's it's that it is a completely different experience. It's like playing a mandolin instead of a guitar. It's right. just a, you know it has a lot in common with the other cameras that I'm accustomed to using, but just the entire experience feels very just sort of palpably different. Not yeah. you know the yeah, as you said the looking down the square the reversed image everything about it. Um, so. At 110, Polaroid, any of those? Well, here's the thing. I do love Polaroid. I'm sad about that the peel, you know, that that's not around. Um, I guess you can find the film. It's very expensive, but... Yes, I have a fridge full of it. I love the 195. This I've just had for years and years. I have and years. one too. Again, but again, this was this was not like I had this cool camera. It wasn't cool when I had it. No, that's right. And and I started using it, and I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I just uh, that's I a camera mine. that I really really love. Yeah, I have a I have a one ninety five, and I also have a two fifty, and I also have a big swinger. Oh wow! Just <laughs> total piece of junk, but it uses the it's same so pack cool. film. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's just it's really fun to use. Um, but you know, never having shot large format, I love shooting like FP one hundred C and then recovering the negative and yep. having that big negative to work with. It's right. so much fun. Right. And I also have, I have this device called a Forcher Proback. Have we ever talked about this game? No, never. A proback is a device that was used for proofing by professional photographers in the 70s. And it is basically a back for the Nikon F, the Canon T90, for a lot of uh, Hasselblad. Um, it's a Polaroid back for non-Polaroid cameras. Oh, and wow. it has a fiber optic block in it mm-hmm. so that you can do two 35 millimeter sized images 
on a pack film negative. So it's an enormous waste of space because, but you can do all sorts of interesting juxtapositions with it. So I've been playing with that a lot. That's so cool. And then the other thing I got is, I got to look up the name of it. It's right behind me. It's called a, oh, you ever heard of a Speed Magni? No. A Speed Magni (laughs) is a Polaroid back for a Nikon F. You, oh, wow. It has got a prism and a mirror and another mirror and another mirror so that I'll show you the picture on the box so that you lose apparently I don't want to be too far away from the mic when I do this you this is what it looks like oh wow isn't wow. that ridiculous <laughs> huge right speed magni when it's hooked up to your Nikon F you lose eight stops <laughs> So why in the world you would so want to use this is beyond me. But To have that instant picture, yeah. To have that instant picture. So I figure if I use it with FP3000B, <laughs> that's going to be roughly like 125 speed film, right? Yeah. So I'm and when play, did but- that, and that, what the stuff that makes me crazy is, so I used to have that, that uh, the black and white and the color pack film because it was yeah. seven bucks at B&H. Sure. Bought tons and tons of it. And then I went through it. I went to go buy it again. They said, oh, it's not available. And then you go on eBay. It's like 50 bucks. So I don't oh, know. It's something crazy. I get <laughs> tempted all the time because I see on Facebook Marketplace people selling one pack of <laughs> FP100C for $125. That's insane. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I hung on to my cameras and I'm glad Smart. I hung on to the film. Yeah, but I also, great. I love the SX70. I have, I have a couple yep. of those. And... I just think they're magic. And again, talk about a camera that yard sales. You would see SX70s at yard sales for five bucks. Yeah, there's still uh, SX70s for when I again in Albuquerque, I went to a garage sale and it was ten bucks. Yeah, I got. And I found an SX70 at a thrift store here in LA for twenty bucks, and I that's was, great. Felt very blessed. Yeah, and I do. I also do love 110 cameras. I have a couple of them. I, I have, have the, a couple. I just have not. I've I haven't used them since I was a kid. Yeah, like the, the way, especially the Auto skinny. 110 is awesome. Oh, cool! It's great. It's a you know you've seen it. It's a dinky little SLR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. And Lomo now makes the film again, so it's fun to shoot with. So I only have medium format. I only have the uh, I have the Roly and I have a Pentax six by seven. Yep. Which I just got last year, and I'm really it's a enjoying. great great camera. Um, it's a great it camera. Such a, such a load to carry around. It is really heavy. It is yeah. really, really heavy. And the funny thing is, it lightens up if you take that. I'm sure you have the wood grip. Oh, sure. You take, you take the wood grip that's the coolest thing about the camera. I would never take it off. And um, <laughs> and you take it off and, and you, realize, uh, you realize it's still heavy. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. still, yeah, it's great. I love that camera. Um you know, that lens, the magical. Yeah, the 105. You know, just, yeah, 105, 2.4. It's just, it's, it's, and, and the way that I came about that was we were, um, they were doing a shoot for Where is Freaks and Geeks Now? For oh, Van- cool. Va- Vanity Fair. And they printed some pictures and, and we went to the shoot and, and I didn't know who was shooting the thing. And it was Mark Seliger, who I love. Oh, and, my God. And so, in you know just his books i can go on and on but so judd says to me and it was i was so freaked out that mark seliger was shooting it that i left my camera in the car like i didn't want to be anywhere near royalty like mark seliger and i've got my you know little you know camera and anyway so 
I was there, and of course, Judd had told him, look, Gabe, take these pictures and show oh, him. Oh, I know a guy who's a photographer. I, I guess. <laughs> so, so after he was done, after we're done, and I'm sort of like, you know, in the corner, Mark goes, Gabe, come here, come here. And I go, hi. He goes, have you ever tried one of these? And it was the Pentax 6-7. Wow. And he goes, you should really try it because I use it all the time. He goes, this is my real film camera. And he says, in fact, I'm going to take a picture of the group of all you guys with this camera, but you should try it because this lens, this 105, this is the lens you got to get. Yeah. And um, and of course, I went out scouring that afternoon. <laughs> like, I've got wow. someone who will trade me or... Yeah. And it's fantastic. My friend Tyler is a gifted photographer. He has a Pentax 6-7. And he lent it to me. And I liked it. It was, you know, an entirely different shooting experience to anything I'd ever experienced before. But when I bought mine, I got the 6x7. And I'm just going to be straight up honest because the logo is better. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that little 6x7 in the typewriter font is so sexy. As opposed to the 672 fancy modern one. Yeah. 100%. It's entirely about how fucking cool that logo is. Well, I I will tell you, I will tell you that um, I recently sort of brokered a deal uh, with a friend I met at um, a beers and camera meetup. And, uh, and I went there for the first time and met this guy, Abram. And it was, it was, uh, we were just talking and on and on. He was saying this and, and he had a pristine 672. Oh, wow. I mean, everything was pristine. He, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm so impressed with someone when they pull out a camera, it's spotless and the lens is perfect yeah. and everything's clean. So I knew, so, he said, I'm thinking of selling it. And I said, oh my gosh. So, Another friend of mine was looking for this camera, so I sort of hooked them up. But everything was perfect and pristine and got them yeah. together. And and that that was the first one of those that I said, oh, these are really cool. Yeah. I mean, I love that 6.7, the old one, but yeah, these yeah. are really cool. Hey, so that's that's that opens an interesting topic. So as a collector, you said you have a lot that don't work. Mm-hmm. And you have a number that are kind of beat up, and then you mm-hmm. have the kind that are that look like they just came off, they just came out of the box. Right? Do you are you relatively even handed in that regard, or no. do you favor no, one? No, I, I I I favor the it. Look, if it works, because I want to use them. That's the key. Yeah. That's why I have to thin these down because I don't want to have ones that I don't use that someone else would enjoy. Yeah. Um, the ones that I use that uh, if they're beat up, whatever, and and um. I'll tell you how that uh, that happened. It used to, I sort of used to be in the school of, you know, it's got to be, got to be great. It's got to be, got to, it's got to be the sharpest picture. It's got to be, you know, the cleanest thing. It's got to. And then um, there was someone that we hired to shoot a campaign, who's one of my favorite photographers, Frank Ockenfels. Mm-hmm. and Frank is someone that. I got to know and became friends with after that. And then he shot another campaign for us. And he's he did the David Bowie book and he did tons of amazing work. I encourage you to go to his website. I mean, I it do, is yeah. just, it is, his work is brilliant. And so, you know, Frank casually said to me, and he probably doesn't even remember, but he said, you know, pick up a camera that's, that's broken. Yeah. 
see what you get out of it. I was like, what? <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> and then, and then you see what he's done with, you know, he has this one of his favorite lenses. Is you hold it up and you can hear the rattle in it, and the oh, pictures, wow. the pictures are art pieces. Like he's yeah. that. He, Frank Ockenfels is that good. Like it's that yeah. where where he can he can pick something up and make something beautiful out of it, and that I completely admire. And and that uh, you know, I hope I can. You know, I want I want to sort of grab stuff like that and experiment like that. So yeah. that's sort of why I've hung on to some of those broken cameras. I get it. Well, you know, I I think by nature tend to be somewhat like compulsive about wanting things that look like really factory fresh and pretty. Right. And I, you know, if it's got a ding in it or the paint is chipped, I would kind of scoff at it and so forth. <laughs> and then I had an interesting experience. As I said, my favorite camera is this Alpa that I had wanted all my life. Like it right. had been a camera that I read about in a photo book when I was a teenager. And they're so rare and strange that it's a Swiss camera. Um, one of the only SLR systems made, not in America, Germany or Japan. Um, and I had looked and looked and looked and I was in London. Uh, directing a show for the BBC and I made the rounds of these camera shops around the British Museum and I would ask do you have any Alpas and they would laugh at me (laughs) and at this one shop called Camera City the owner said do you know we just got this one in and he reaches under the counter and he pulls out an Alpa 11 SI which is the last one they ever made and it is really beat up it's got engravings on it it's the paint is chipped it, and I look at it and I'm like, I am never going to see one of these again. I uh, know. And he didn't. And so I bought it and started shooting with it. It had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, when I first bought it, it was missing the clip that holds the take up spool in place. So the film was going like this, like like right. wave in the camera. <laughs> I had to find a guy who had that spare part and would sell it to me. Anyway, I started shooting with this and the results I got from this lens, the lens was made by Kern. It's the only, you know, they make cinema lenses. Right. And it's the only lens they ever made for a still camera. And this macro lens is just to me like magic. And the only way you can use it is to put it on an Alpa. And so I was shooting with this lens and you would look in the lens and you'd see fungus, you know, like everything about this camera was problematic. At the time, I was writing a pilot with Chuck Laurie, and I was talking to him about this camera. I like brought it to work one day, and Chuck is a, I think a, may, people may or may not know this about him. He's a he was a rock musician before he right. started writing um, television. He actually wrote a top ten hit for Deborah Harry, um, so he has a large collection of guitars, including like some really just vintage Fender Les Pauls and stuff, mm-hmm. and. I was telling him about this camera and I said, I really need to send this in to this guy in New York and get this thing fixed. And he said, never get it fixed. Never let anybody open up that camera. That camera is magic in your hands right now. And if you let somebody, you know, open up the lens and take the fungus out or, you know, it's, tune up the screen. It's screens, not going to be the same. It's yeah. not going to be. that. What you're getting out of it right now, he said, this is how it is with guitars. Like, you want to replace the stained neck or the cracked pickup or whatever. And he said, I will never do it. Wow. Because if you get that sound out of the guitar, you just, it's perfect as it is. It doesn't right. matter that it doesn't look right. Exactly. And I really took it to heart. 
and have just kept shooting with the thing. I, it has a light leak. I get weird flares with it. But the images that I get that work are really extraordinary. And so that's I stay great. With it. Yeah, that's so great. And I do this kind of this. Maybe this is our final topic before we close out. I like to shoot with everything I own. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I, I do. I, I feel like, you know, different days, I'll try different things. I've been very, you know, and there's some things that I've said, like I'm a Mia RC67. Yeah. I have some beasts that I love. And, and there's also some cameras that I just haven't had great luck with, which, you know, is either, you know, there's always a bad part or something. And I've sort of run into that with some of the Hasselblad stuff. Right. is I and the one camera that I haven't had a problem with and I have had a 500C and you know just for a long time and just always had a problem with either the back or the winding mechanism it was something you know I just hadn't gotten fixed so last time I was in New York at B&H I went up to the used counter as I do and I talked to the guys about what cameras came in yeah and he was holding one of those cameras that um you know the Hasselblad with the motor on the bottom i guess the elx is that it yeah I, um I don't and everyone hates them like everyone hates these cameras <laughs> and they're ugly and people you know blah 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 and i'm going oh my gosh i got a lens and i have a back and so he says it just came in so we're just evaluating it and and shlomo the guy who fixes them he's actually yeah. that's his name uh he uh he looked it over said it's a great condition and i pressed it it was great so it had the back it had a great a clear uh you know the viewfinder was great and i said how much is it this was last year yeah and he ty- types it into the computer he goes it's 200 dollars. <gasps> i said sold he goes wow. no one wants this camera like he, it was great. like just like great a, and I love it. Like it's one of those cameras. It's great, just giant and heavy, and ridiculous. But it's one of those things yeah. I have to have. It is a thing. Like you, if you bond with the machine somehow, and it might be the unlikeliest thing, but right. just you got to ride it as long as you can. It's true. It's very true. Um, you know, I I I like having the array of different weapons to choose from when I go out and shoot. <laughs> even though, as you said, it is hard sometimes knowing right. which one to bring. But it's exciting because each instrument brings out something different in you as an artist. Right. And, you know, it forces you to shoot a little differently. Oh, it forces totally. You, you know, just it, it, people like to talk about how analog photography slows you down. Well, a lot of these cameras right. slow you down to the point where there's no onboard meter. So you're right. going to be relying on your eye to tell you what the exposure is or your iPhone metering app. Um, <laughs> and it elicits something different. You just get, you yeah. know, you, when you only have eight shots, 10 shots, 12 shots on a roll, you're going to shoot differently. Definitely. So it's And you always, think more. I think that's that's what I love about it. It's like you're t- you take more time. It's like a smoother way of shooting. Yeah. All right. Well, look, this is the first of what I hope will be a couple of conversations. How fun. About camera collecting. Um we encourage you out there in Sunny 16 land to uh, write to us through the Sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com email address with your own camera collecting adventures. We'd love to hear and, from you. And go to sunny16podcast.com. Tons of great stuff there. Absolutely. Follow them and all their spinoffs because, as we know, spinoffs are great. Yes. Spinoffs are great. <laughs> okay, so I'm Jeff Greenstein. I'm S. Jeff Greenstein on Instagram. And Gabe Sachs, and it's at Gabe Sachs, G-A-B-E-S-A-C-H-S on Instagram as well. 
All right. Thank you for joining us on our untitled camera collecting adventure. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Mm-hmm.